It's time once again for the Passion to Succeed podcast, where we explore the traits, mindsets, and attitudes of passionate and successful individuals. This show is for anyone who wants to make a difference, make more money, learn from the greatest minds, and discover how to be more successful in all you do and doing it with a pure passion to succeed. Here's your host, serial entrepreneur, successful author, and the world's most passionate master coach, Craig White. Hi everyone, it's Craig White here and welcome to another Passion to Succeed podcast show, a show really focused on excellence and and really helping you to cultivate and create an unstoppable mindset to enable you really to raise your game, I guess, in the the opportunities and the possibilities that lie within you, around you and before you. Today, I'm I'm really excited to to have a, a great guy, a really massively inspiring guy, really, and our paths crossed some seven years ago. Um, with this gentleman through his training company uh, and I'm really blown away um, really by this guy's dedication and excellence so Stuart it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the show uh, please welcome Stuart Everin- uh, Loverington. Thank you Craig it's a pleasure to be here thanks for inviting me. Well it's, it's, it's a real pleasure and I know obviously you're you're based down in the south of the UK and, and myself up in the, the Midlands so we're, we're streaming this online which is always great the, the joys of technology but you you've been in um, the uh, I guess a sales career now since the the earth because it mid mid to late eighties was it was it Stuart January the third nineteen eighty eight I knocked on my first door Craig yes wow and I believe you you obviously this was uh, you started off in direct sales and I really want to talk a little bit about your journey because obviously uh, many people may not have stumbled across you if with all honesty as of yet Stuart but when I look at your history and the things that you've achieved in your career. As I said to you briefly, but before we started the show, I find it really inspiring. So, back in in that January is when you started your direct sales career and um, really progressed, I guess, um, through the ranks and 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 really um, developing some winning sales teams throughout the UK and, and and America. How did that How did that all come about? And what what was it that was driving you at that time in your in your beginning of your career? I suppose um, a lot of your listeners could probably relate to this that I I went to school and um, I, I didn't do as well as I probably would have liked at school there was all sorts of circumstances probably behind that but I, I basically um, went on to sixth form and then went to college I didn't have enough A-levels to go to university at the time and um, and basically fell up, fell into a situation where I was cleaning cars in in um, in Fleet in Hampshire where I grew up, and uh, someone said to me, "Look, why don't you try going into sales?" And so, literally, it was a phone number on a back of a fag packet type scenario. Phone this chap up, and he said, "Come along." And I went to a um, someone's house in Callsden in Surrey, and literally had an interview to go door to door selling um, selling aerial photographs of people's homes. Oh wow! Okay, and that was that was the start of the journey. Now, one of the things that was, I was particularly lucky to have actually is that these guys were, were pretty good. They had a sales track, they had a sales manual, so they introduced me to what I thought was just normal, um, but they later discovered wasn't was just the entire methodology behind selling, and uh, start started the journey that way, Craig. So I was. Um, and equally frustrated about how tough it was and how you know other people seemed to be doing really well at it and I just couldn't get to grips with it but that's that's that was the early that was the early days of uh, door-to-door knocking and I ended up doing that and working with that firm for 10 years 
So you now, I mean, you're now a senior partner, partner, sorry, at one of the UK's leading training companies, SBR Consulting. And am I right in believing that your your training focus is really focused on that sales environment and and really helping people to reach their potential? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Craig. So there, there are lots of consultancies out there, but our our specialism is literally in the sales space. So we work across numerous um, vertical markets, but just in the sales space. So. Um, I joined SBR Consulting in 2006, January 2006, and um, as as a um, you know as a consultant, and uh, with the idea that I just shared all the sort of skills and, and things and the journey that I'd learned around sales and sales methodology. Um, and now, for the last 11 years, I've been lucky enough to work with probably over 200 firms on an individual basis, as well as the kind of many hundreds that we might touch through conferences and things like that that we also do. But just primarily in developing anyone that has kind of client-facing opportunities. So that might be in professional services. It could be in um, situations where you um, are talking to people uh, in in an interaction where they're literally on um, prof- you know, a consultant themselves, all the way to the actual door-knocking salespeople to um, large large corporate and enterprise sales individuals as well. Wow. I mean, I've seen a, a couple of your your trainings on um, on YouTube, which again um, are quite captivating with some of the messages that you you get across, and um, absolutely love something I watched a few days ago with regards to um, the opening of a banana and, and really being <laughs> different to the norm. And I guess what you was you know highlighting in that maybe you can share a little bit of that story with with the listeners, but it was really kind of. I guess inspiring people to be different and do things in a different way, look outside the box, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I've got a sequel to that one with an apple, but I'll, I'll keep that one for another time. But so, uh, yeah, the um, the banana opening, the message that I try and share with that one, and I I, I wish I knew where I got it from. And I'm sure if you went into banana opening on YouTube, you see lots of people opening it. But actually, the kind of the different way or the way that traditionally most people don't open it is is from the kind of the, the pip end and um, what the message is is that we all do what pretty much everyone else does and having just studied psychology for, or finished that study for the last six years there's that's referred to as social conditioning or social learning and we happen to just do what everyone else does and I think that's probably the message that I'm trying to make is it just because everyone else does it doesn't always mean it's right yeah um, and that's kind of my message around in that particular context and you know, it's all very well sh- shouting and sort of purveying all this information, but uh, unless you're doing it yourself. And so I've always made an effort to do things that are slightly out the box or a little bit different or a little bit more challenging to see if all the things I talk about in one's mindset is true, which is what I do most of the time when it comes to sales. Surely if it works for sales, it could work for anything else. And so that's why I've been lucky enough to do some fairly adventurous stuff and fun stuff on the journey. Well, yeah, I mean, talk, talking about these things, and, and this is what really inspires me is, um, you know, you've got some a really unique story. Uh, when if we go back and, and really sort of look at some of the adventures that you've gone through from, you know, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, fast forward into, 
you know, maybe 10 years later, be, you know, you know, competing in the, the Barcelona Ironman competition and in between, you know, things such as racing to the North Pole, where I believe your team came first. An amazing experience, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think probably in the journey, you don't necessarily realise that, the, you know, the how big that uh, that is when you when you first start or sign up for something like that but yes i mean i i think the reason why i would say that kilimanjaro was a, was a marked turning point there are many people that go up there and um or, or have an aspirations to go up there and i think probably the biggest challenge is more in your head and and also something to do with altitude which also one of my friends uh, suffered from on this journey up there but i the reason why i mention that is because i met um you know the guys that carry all the kit for you. It's all very easy for us to go up there with our thinking. We've got a day sack with a camera in it and and a, and a waterproof maybe. And then there's these guys carrying you know 150 kilos or something on their back, and they're the ones that run up there in flip flops and <laughs> set up a camp and you know build make your tea. And you think you've had a hard day, right? And it's one of those guys uh, that I, I came across, and I was walking past in that kind of quintessential English way, and said, you know, how are you? And he just said the word strong to me. And I just thought, what a brilliant word to say when people say, how are you? Wow. And and I think, I, I, and, and I from that day on, I've used that term personally. And I, because it, it, it's valid for you internally as well as externally. And quite often when you're not externally strong, you can certainly flick yourself into being internally strong. And, um, and I think that was probably the turning point mentally for me to then possibly be a little bit more adventurous and so um, a few years later, I decided to take up triathlon, which I think you, you're probably aware of. And I didn't even know how to swim at the time. I was one of these people that might have done a half marathon and, you know, a token 10K here and there. And I had a beat up old mountain bike in my garage that I'd hardly ever used and decided, well, you know, what's this triathlon malarkey? I'll give it a go. But I didn't know how to swim. So I, it took me a year to get to grips with swimming. Um, but within kind of three years or, or four years, I can't remember exactly, I, I decided to go for a national ranking in 2006 and, and surprised myself to come um, 13th in my age group um, in the UK f for that. So obviously the swimming came on leaps and bounds. That, that's amazing, really. When you when you consider, you know, I guess most people are, are typically uh, accomplished in in the sport and they're working on their trade and, and I guess a, a focus for, for years to be able to maybe get up to that level. I mean, what, what, where does the passion come from? And I guess the determination and, and, and dedication to, to, to even like learn to swim um, just to compete in a triathlon, but bearing in mind, you know, I guess people that you were competing with in the ranking were maybe been doing this sort of thing since they were children. Yeah. I, I mean, my, I, I, Quite often, a lot of people, when they get to my ripe old ages, they, they're injured left, right, and centre. And I put it down to possibly them doing it since they were children, you know. So they've always got some nigging injury, and I don't know whether that's a, genuinely a physical injury or something that's been brought on through through just the psychology of of trying to compete and just the pressures that that brings. Um, and I, so my my self talk, my internal dialogue was that I was new to this, so I was fresh, I have fresh legs around this. And the other thing is, is that um, I do believe of being a practitioner of what you preach. And so with the idea to try and always get better or do new things or learn, I mean, I think I applied all the stuff that I might share with people to improve sales performance or sales leadership performance to to swimming. And I literally, I, I practiced it 
before I went to bed in my mind, I you know, went through the strokes. I opened my mind up knowing that I was no good. So I was open to tuition and I was lucky enough to join a triathlon club in East Grinstead that had some great coaches in there that were willing to help me from somebody that was in the in the worst lane and could swim to a bottom of the pool where the bricks fall down quicker than I could across it. And um, and they, they persisted and worked with me and I was determined to, to give it a go. And, and, and I suppose the turning point is trying to find something that gives you confidence that you have got better. And I think it was a, a lunchtime swim, I think at work, I ducked out and went to the swimming pool and joined the slow lane in the lunchtime swim sessions as a slow, medium and fast lane. And when you go in the slow lane and realize, actually, I'm passing all these people and you did the same in the medium lane. And then you go into the fast lane and go, actually, I'm not bad at this. And it's that kind of feedback that gave, gives you confidence around it all to, to not only continue because you can see a marked improvement, but it's like you need to seek that feedback because you don't always, it doesn't always naturally come to you because when you're, training with a whole load of people that are all pretty good already, you don't necessarily see the gradual improvement. Yeah, I see. I guess it's the, the you know, people on the outside will tend to see the improvement more than we, we, we tend to see it ourselves. Uh, absolutely. So I think, you know, having kind of um, a coach, as it were, in, in swimming was, was, was really helpful through the, through the triathlon club um, and just, just working at it and then measuring yourself um, was was a key element to it all, and I think that's that was the confidence. I mean, the reason for doing this, Craig, was to really prove. If I said to someone, you know, I was a top salesperson, people can easily go, yes, but you know, or out of one person, or yeah, that depends. My field of expertise is different, or what I'm selling is different, or my market's challenging more challenging than yours, or so I thought I'd pick things. Um, that would be more tangible for people to relate to. That I, I've never done this before, so let's give it a go. It's a little bit like going into professional services. I've never done professional services. A lot of people go into it with a black book. Um, myself and a colleague of mine, you know, Craig Allen, um, we both entered professional services with no black book mm-hmm. uh, and had to start from absolutely zero to build up our network and our business around it all. And applied applied the same mindset to then going well. If if I can do that in triathlon, um, why don't we try something super adventurous? Which was where the the idea of racing. A friend of mine said, "Well, why don't we go for a race to the North Pole?" And that's that's when that idea came around. And that's because that's just a typical conversation friends have, Stuart. Right? <laughs> well, some of the friends I have, yeah, they're sort of crazy crazy people, and. Um, it's like off the scale and the guy that suggested it was actually a quite a well-known not well-known he's, he's accomplished skier he'd been skiing since he was very early age and i'd never skied um before so um there's it's a team of three and the, the two of two of us out of the three didn't know how to ski before so we had to learn that whole kind of langlauf cross-country skiing technique um which absorbed and you just apply the same mindset to learning to swim right to to to, to skiing which is the same mindset you do to anything so quite a question i mean obviously i i I comprehend you the mindset but for you to learn that ability of cross-country skiing how how long was it and you know we live in the uk Stuart, so you know obviously (laughs) (laughs) there's not a lot of snow around and and um you know when it is the the uk tends to stop for some crazy reason so what what was your kind of training regime how did how did you go about becoming an accomplished skier well um with with that we went away on i think two two weekends long weekends training camp in in europe 
Um, the, the daft thing is, is that I was looking forward to a tough winter in the UK and I think it was one of the mildest ones on record. So there really was no snow anywhere um, that particular year that was our, our training year. So we went over and in fact, we went over to France and because it was such a mild winter, it was melting everywhere as well on this particular ski resort we went to. Um, but it was it was about building up the kind of the muscle groups and doing the training. It was also about um, doing the, the kind of cardiovascular CV work. And and then we came across the fact that you can do land skiing with little long um, kind of boards, as it were, that you put on each foot with wheels on the end. And so you can practice in the UK. And, and believe it or not, there is a, a group of people that do this around Hyde Park on a regular basis, I discovered. And, oh, wow. and when we went training, we'd find parks that were fairly flat and we'd just go round and round and round in circles on these things for hours at a time. And when my, and the triathlon club, I'd still go swimming with the team. And then, then I'd literally get these skis on and go around the park. And the number of people that thought that I was on the cusp of a brand new fad or something, because people would stop me and ask, is, is this the latest thing? And of course it wasn't, but <laughs> it certainly is unusual and slightly challenging to stop when you've got wheels on two ends of sticks. <laughs> I love that, Stuart, I love it. So it must have been a, a grueling, I mean, obviously you, as a team, you won. So the elation at the end where I guess a lot of people see the success from you know, the start point to, to the completion and, and, and winning the race to the pole. But throughout that journey, there must have been moments of decision and, and challenges. I mean, is, is there anything particularly that kind of jumps to mind where you may have, you must have hit a brick wall, surely, ever, at yeah, some point? Yeah, all, all three of us had a brick wall, actually. And, um, you know, we, we, we call it the dark December. I mean, the race was due in May. And we called it the dark December. I mean, all, all three of us had massive equal challenges, actually. I was uh, going through a divorce. My, uh, a friend of mine was changing and, and lost his job. And another one was moving house. And I think those rank as the highest stressful scenarios for people. So the three of us collectively had all of those. And some serious reservations and doubts as to what we were letting ourselves in for and whether we could do this. Um, you know, the longest I even stayed in a tent was as a Cub Scout at age eight for a week. And here we were going to be sleeping on, uh, on, on snow um, for a matter of weeks. Um, and so those kind of light bulb moments of realization and trepidation definitely occurred. And some worries around our own fitness levels and whether we could keep that up and maintain it. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Craig, huge dark moments. And I think we all gave ourselves a good talking to. And I think a turning point was, well, look, if we're going to compete in this, what would what would coming first look like? What would being the best look like? What would be the, the things that top people would do yep. um, to be to be first? And one of those decisions was to talk to people that done it before. And, and one of the things I always say to, to anybody, actually, as a piece of advice is that if you want to do anything, go and talk to people about it. There's there's always people that have got something to say. It doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be the right thing to say. But we made an effort between the three of us to talk to at least two people that competed before. Okay. And um, it's always surprised me that, that you know people have got access to my information is readily available, that actually in the years since not one person's ever reached out to us to ask us our opinion on what it takes to to be to win that race and it still it still exists in fact we just to correct you as well we didn't we didn't win we came first which is a 
which is a novel difference. Okay. The, the halfway through, so during the race itself, one of my dearest friends, um, he got septicemia, and you could hardly feel that, um, you know, in a sterile environment like the, the, the Arctic, that you would get um, septicemia, but we carry all these germs on our skin, and he got a blister, and literally that became infected um, during the race, and had to pull out halfway through, and the, the race rules were you had to finish as a three. Uh, we were given the option to carry on. We didn't know where we were in the race, but we were given the option to carry on. Of course, our mindset, myself and Miles, were very strong to carry on. And so we said, well, without a shadow of a doubt, we'll go on. And we had to leave Martin behind and, at the halfway point, which was which was probably the toughest situation and tra- toughest thing I've ever had to go and do, believe it or not. Okay. I suppose probably because your mind's so much into the, into the race. Yeah. Wow. But, I mean, it's such an amazing achievement. I mean, when when I look at, you know, obviously racing to the pole, and, and even since then, um, you know, you've you've been involved in the a, a Sahara Desert, was it a two hundred and fifty kilometer stage race, then followed by you know the the ultra marathon, um, nine days, nine stages over nine days. So you really do, you really do push yourself to the next level. Where yeah, do, where does the motivation come from, this Stuart, to really push yourself to such extremes and and such challenges? Um, I, I'd like to come up with a really grand answer to you, <laughs> something kind of massive, inspirational. I, I think uh, that one of uh, two two things. One, it, that they're like badges, I suppose. All of these things are like little badges, I suppose, for your your CV or whatever. And it's nice to be able to have these tangible measures. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to go through life doing, and and I think you know most people are working super hard and and got really tough jobs and tough families and and all that sort of stuff. Bringing up children, having to deal and juggle all those things. So all these things are super challenging for everybody. And um, and, and I suppose my, my my thought around that is is just that literally have a kind of a touch point or a, you know some badge of, of point of something that you could be proud of that you did on that journey, mm-hmm. and um, so that that was kind of one of the, the motivations. And I think I also sort of decided many years ago to come up with the fact that I've met so many people that said they would like to do something, they'd like to run a marathon, they would like to cycle John O'Groats Land's End, they'd. They'd like to do these things. And my, my personal opinion is I realized that so many people say that, myself included. So I decided to come up with a family motto, which I've now ingrained into my children. And, um, and that there's, there's two simple words is we do. Mm-hmm. So it, instead of saying you'd like to, it's literally, you know, it doesn't matter if it's not this year or next year or the year after. It, it, it could be three, four, five, six years down the line of, you know, if you'd like to go and do that, when? Yeah. And 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 do so. Where where does motivation come from? Is one not to get to the end of your journey and not feel that you've accomplished anything? Um, it, just some kind of badge, whatever your badge for yourself might look like. I, I've I've been lucky enough to have kind of these physical opportunities to do it through to racing and things like that, and I quite like the idea. I just thought it was a bit um, almost perverse really to go from minus 50 degrees in the north pole to plus 50 degrees in the sahara desert so i just quite like that extremity um just to see if i can you know and um i really at the time didn't think um i I didn't know which one would have been harder to do in in hindsight it was by far going to the north pole 
was 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 considerably tougher and in fact that the sahara race I, I thoroughly enjoyed and would recommend to people to do as as sick as it might sound for many <laughs> so it's a, i mean it's a, i mean I, with with all honesty Stuart, i mean i'm i'm i've recently turned 40 and and i've literally just started running again in the last few weeks and yeah. i think the last time i ran five kilometers was when i was 21 and that was probably chasing a football around the football pitch um, yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm you know i've always had this this mindset that I, I I almost believed I disliked running, and yes. what I found is actually I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I'm you know to do five kilometers was was quite a test for me. I'm not out of shape, but not having ran probably for for so long, it was um, you know. But I also find myself that I want to I, I just want to beat my best. I want to I just want to be even even if it's just a minute faster the next time I run. Um, and I find myself asking. I asked a friend of mine. I said, "How tough do you think it is to run a four minute mile?" And um, his response to me was, "Well, um, well, I won't repeat what his response was actually." However, <laughs> he was he was just talking about you know he, I think he'd ran a kilometer in in four four minutes eighty uh, thirty eight sorry yeah so it, it made me re- and he's super fit so I'm, you know I think when you look at something like a two hundred when when I'm looking at a, a two hundred and fifty kilometer stage race yeah it almost sounds unachievable although I know it's very achievable so how do people kind of get around this mindset of looking at something with with fear and realizing actually it might just be an amazing adventure like you're highly recommending the the Sahara Sahara race yeah I think I think like all these things that there's there's a the way that I sort of share this with people on the course my courses and stuff like this which I believe completely and wholeheartedly is that we all have a kind of comfort zone and it doesn't mean because it's called a comfort zone that it's comfortable so you talk about your 5k Craig and it sounds like you're enjoying that and going out there you know the next big leap would be to challenge yourself to go out there and do the half marathon right so Mm -hmm. if you were to go out there you'd be very much out of your comfort zone and um and and very much into your stretch zone and as a reasonably fit chap I'm, i would sure you'd be fine at doing something like that and then you'll probably come back and then find 5k relatively easy and actually an 8k would probably be now in your comfort zone mm-hmm. um and it's all about those pushing those kind of boundaries so into your stretch zone whereas i think a lot of people and in most of it's in the, in our head so most of the training you have to do is is about getting your confidence to be able to do something, yeah, and certainly in a, in a physical sense. So somebody has to go out there. You you know, to do a marathon, which is forty two kilometers, twenty six miles or just over. You um you know you you ask the training basic training would suggest you go up to eighteen miles at least before you do the race itself, and and just the enthusiasm and energy of the people around you and um, will carry you along for the rest of that period of time and I think once you've done something like that I, mean, I did my first marathon at 30 with a with a pub bet in January so probably like your mates you know so I said oh yeah I, I was like that let's let me just go and do a marathon I'll do a marathon <laughs> now I have to say it was on January the 1st in the early hours so there probably was a lot of alcohol involved and um and someone then turned around to me and said, well, actually, I've got a charity place. You can have it. And so four months later, I was running my first London marathon very, very badly and in an awful lot of pain. And a lot of bits that shouldn't have been rubbing were rubbing. And it was it was a, a painful experience and put me off, actually, for a long while. But then the fact that I did it was enough to think, actually, I can't believe people do this with comfort and joy. There's got to be something else in it. So, 
So it's actually pushing yourself into your stretch zone in some way, shape or form, whatever that might look like for any individual in, in wherever their situation um, and breaking out of that. And the other stage beyond the, the stretch zone is the panic zone. Mm-hmm. So if you push yourself too far um, or, or, or take a goal that you just in your mind have no comprehension of thinking you could go and complete, you go into the panic zone. And I suppose you talked about the dark moments and the run up to the, the, you know, the North Pole. And I think we probably went into that dark zone to a degree and just thought, right, well, let's just take it by stages. And that's why I quite like these stage races because you just do it a day at a time and, and not invariably there'll be a, every 10 K or something, there'll be a water stop and you just do it in the stages. So you break this stuff down to do it into stages, a little bit like sales, you know, I need to make the big sale. Well, break break that down into how many meetings you need to have to break break that further down into how many kind of um, calls you need to make to get those meetings, and then just break down the day into making sure you make those number of calls. I suppose that's where it all relates to, and what I'm, the messaging I'm trying to make about doing this when it comes to sharing it with other people. And with all your experience, Stuart, in in training and and obviously you know pushing yourself into that stretch zone and and learning you know to, to ski and learning to swim because that you you want you want that achievement and you have that ambition and motivation with with, with your knowledge and, and experience over the years would you say there's anything particular that that stops people from stepping out of their comfort zone into the stretch zone i mean i i fully understand that you know typically i i, I believe that everything that we've ever acquired in life that has any value to us from friendships, relationships, maybe even to materialistic things, we, we've had to step out of our comfort zone to acquire them because more often than not, that's where they lay. So, but what stops people generally? Is there, is there anything that you could put your finger on? that? <clears throat> I think um, the vast majority of things that stop us are is our internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, <clears throat> what other people what you think other people might think, what you, um, what the, the little person in your head says that's the counterbalance around it all. And, and it's difficult to separate this kind of the sensible side where it says, you know, don't do that um, because you're going to end up hurt to actually if you do that, but you do it through these, these this, this way, you should be okay and having trust in, in, in what you're going to go and do. I think it's definitely the internal dialogue is the, is the biggest challenge that I can't syndrome in your head yeah. um, and just changing that to you might say I can't yet and you, you adding those words to it uh, or, or reinforcing it with what you can do rather than what you can't do you know the, the adage of if you can you know to your point Craig if you can run five kilometers you, you you should be able to run 10 if you can run 10 you should be able to run 15 and it's going on that journey and so I would think the challenge for people is maybe not having the steps to something that they're going to go and do, you know, and having those 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 steps and want you know the journey to that step is going to also equip you for the next step. But if you look at the far step, the biggest thing, the big jump you want to go and do, you're not equipped with all that information yet. But your journey is going to equip you with that with that information. I, I had no clue how to race and what I needed to do to become. A high performer in the North Pole, but uh, you know the one thing our first step was to go and talk to th- three people each or two people each around it all. And then once you talk to those people, I mean, I I ended up talking to Britain's leading sleep deprivation expert to work out how much sleep we actually would need in a 12-day race and how much we could go without 
because the key thing was staying on your feet. So I would never in a million years think, oh, I know, I'll go and do a race. Let me call someone I've never met before in my life. <laughs> Um, but the journey helped me equip me with that information. I think that's the case for everybody. So, I mean, I'm fascinated by that, just for your, your, the, the, the outcome of that conversation with regards to sleep deprivation um, mm -hmm. you know, over a 12-day period. And what, 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 what did you learn with what the human body's capable of? <laughs> well, I was lucky. I, I was lucky. I mean, because we were doing it for charity, uh, the, the, the chap up in um, Edinburgh University was very happy to talk to us and give us some insights and some studies that are yet to be published that have been um, working on the, with the British Army around sleep deprivation. And I think uh, the latest news that you might be reading about the, the Navy, the US Navy challenges they're having at the moment with some of their ships. Um, is being basically down to sleep deprivation and, and things like that. And we, we found out that uh, sleep cycles, and now with your phones, you can work out your own sleep cycle, but we didn't have that when we started then. That you, you, you go in um, as a, a sleep cycle, which is roughly on most people, it's about an hour and a half, mm -hmm. um, where you sort of go in and out. And that's why babies wake up, you know, so because they don't know how to go back to sleep again. But we naturally would wake up and our body checks itself and go back into sleep again. And so to have a full sleep cycle of one and a half hours is ideal. So you go to sleep in those sections. So you sleep for one and a half hours, three hours, four and a half hours um, would be that element. So we decided to go to do some training around three hour sleeps and, and all night walks. Wow. Um, and that was what we took away. And, and one of the things we took to the North Pole with us was these, these one and a half hour sleep zones. Um, segments so I think the maximum we ever slept was a, a four and a half hour sleep time um, in in, the, in our eight during the race I guess it goes back to what you was talking about you know right at the beginning when we we started discussing you know developing and and you mentioned about social conditioning and social learning because there's almost that element of you know you need eight hours you know eight hours for sleeping eight hours for working eight hours for leisure um, yes however it's you know i mean i find if i have eight hours i tend to feel more tired than i, than I would <laughs> if i'd had you know half the hours so i i guess that you know I, I can see i can see the truth in that and i'm guessing the listeners would be able to as well yeah i think ultimately you know we're all slightly everyone's different so they're going to all have their own um, elements around it all i mean there's some famous people like eisenhower and thatcher that were known for i think you know, four hour sleeps, um, you know, on a, on a day, on a nightly basis. But we were looking at, in that particular situation, we were looking at it over a race, at a race time frame. So over 12 hours, sorry, 12 days, you could probably get away with a three hours um, and, and four and a half hours would be a luxury sleep um, over that period of time of competitiveness, mm -hmm. competitiveness. Yeah. Um, but actually, and one and a half hours is pretty useful. In fact, um, I... <laughs> I, f I was had a disaster at the one of the re most recent um, bars that the, the uh, Ironman in Nice I just did, and I had two very late nights in the run up to that race, and so I was actually falling asleep during the race on the bicycle phase, and I literally had had to pull over because I couldn't keep keep awake. I mean, it was not like I could wind down the window when you're on a bike, right? So. <laughs> I, I, I pulled over and literally just put my back against the wall, laid my bike against next to me and I fell asleep and then woke up and I thought, right, now I feel really refreshed. And that was three and a half minutes, Greg. Wow. And I, and I was fine for the rest of the race. Um, it was, so talk about power naps as well. There's, a, there's another added value of these kind of little 
micro sleeps as well. That, 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 even that brief rest and recuperation is enough to, you know, I mean, I've had many power naps over the years as, a, as an entrepreneur traveling the country. And um, yeah, I, I, I can understand that. N never quite as short as three and a half minutes, but that's, that's <laughs> inspiring again. During an Ironman race, then, right? Yeah, I know. Surprised yeah. me as well. So, Stuart, a lot of our listeners, are, uh, we have a varied, you know, um, group of varied, sorry, group of listeners from, you know, I had a guy even, you know, not so long back message me, was stumbled across our podcast show. He was just training to run his first marathon, coincidentally, mm -hmm. um, through to, you know, to, through to entrepreneurs that are running small businesses, partnerships, you know, larger businesses, um, and obviously people that, you know, are passionate in their fields, whatever that may be. So, obviously... I mean, people may won't be in there. I say obviously because I know, but you you've been studying psychology now since 2011, I believe. That's right. Yes. So what what sort of psychology would you say has enabled you and given you the edge? And what what could give our listeners the edge in, I guess, challenging themselves more, succeeding more, contributing more? What what can you share with us? I know there's this probably a long conversation, but is there anything particular that you feel gave you the edge in all these challenges that could give our listeners the edge? That's a, that's a great question. Yeah, so, so yeah, I've been lucky enough to study it for six years uh, and, and and just graduated, actually. Um, Congratulations. Last, last weekend, actually, was our graduation ceremony. Oh, brilliant. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a vast subject of psychology, and, and one of the things I've learned is that how little I know about psychology at the end of six years rather than loads, um, because it is so complex understanding the psyche. I think, um, to, to my message before, I think it's about understanding um, through social conditioning. I, I, was, I was on a course the other day, and I, I shared at a, a conference with somebody, you know, about our internal dialogue and how you can change it and, and actually it was a, that in itself was a revelation for somebody that they actually had control of their internal dialogue they thought that was something that just happened um, now I know that's probably an extreme and we all know we go and do it equally I quite often ask people do you do you do you have some self-talk and laugh at the person that doesn't put their hand up because you know who has self-talk and doesn't put their hand up and they're totally saying do I I'm not sure <laughs> but of course <clears throat> Um, that one of the things I've learned in psychology is that internal chatter is, is, is massive and it's, it's quite, it's very influential. I would say that, um, the, the, the research around that is becoming, is, is more prevalent now than it ever used to be. And I think it's understanding our ability to check in with that a lot more. So I'm not saying, I'm certainly not advocating the fact that you go out there and say, shouting from the rooftops, I'm a winner, I'm the greatest, I'm the best. But it's actually having internal dialogue that stops you from this, from stopping. So um, I think it's the kind of stuff of, you know, let me go for, let me go for a run and back to you, Craig, around your 5K and you've done your 5K and actually saying, well, actually that wasn't too bad. Why don't I do another couple of minutes or why don't I just go past the house and then back again? And it's actually having the internal dialogue to push yourself. And I think back to my door knocking days, it was things like one more door, just do one more door. In my telephone sales teams, you know, it's just three more, you know, do, do to your time, but just do three more dials. And, and, and that, that self-talk, um, which is born from probably 
Albert Gray wrote a great, uh, did a great speech back in the 1940s that you can easily access on the internet um, called The Common Denominator of Success. It's the, you can easily find that. And he starts the speech with the common denominator of success is forming the habits of doing the things that unsuccessful people don't like to do. And I think back in, I came across that in 1988 when I first started in sales and that was been ringing in my head probably ever since, Craig. Wow. And I think that's probably the key thing is if you want to be successful, you're going to have to do things that other people don't like to do. And I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule, but it's just the stuff that you know when other people would give up and you, 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 you'd persist and that includes the training, that will include sales, that include, you know, your entrepreneurs, it'll include the chap and the chapettes that were out there that want to do learn learn to run or lose weight or gain strength or whatever it is they want to do. That's brilliant, Stuart. Hey, well, well Stuart, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for your time today and I know uh, obviously you're a, a very busy guy as, as a senior partner with, with, with SBR Consulting, um, again working and, and training some top companies. Are you, are you typically just in the UK or do you, know, do you work into Europe? Or? I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to go all around the world, Craig, so um, every, every single continent, absolutely, yes, apart from Antarctica. Brilliant, <laughs> so it's something you really love? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yes, I am very passionate about it. Fabulous. Well, hey, um, I'm, I'm really pleased to have had the opportunity to, to connect with you today, Stuart, and, and I'm sure our listeners um, are going to be inspired and, and, and take so much away. I mean, I, I myself have been taking notes, and one of the things I love about this podcast show, with all honesty, is a, an opportunity to selflessly indulge and learn more and also contribute to others. So very grateful for some of your time and your busy schedule. And Stuart, I, I again thank you and, and wish you all the best and a, and a magical day for, for you and your family. Thanks, Craig. You too. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's show, we would appreciate it if you would like. Most people share through social media. Then subscribe, rate and provide a review over at iTunes and SoundCloud. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us. The Passion to Succeed show is brought to you by passiontosucceed.com. Get over to the website, subscribe, and join the community of passionate people.